Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome or welcome back to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so honored and privileged that you've decided to listen with us today. Thank you guys so much for your support and encouragement for the Upper Room Podcast. This Wednesday night, we heard from our pastor as he continues his series on the six foundation stones to build on. He focuses on humility. It was an encouraging and uplifting message, and we hope you're blessed today. You know that we have been studying the six foundations on which to build. We have studied two. We're going into our third one tonight. And we have studied the, the foundation stone of integrity, which was the first. We studied the foundation stone of responsibility, which was the second. Tonight, we're going to study um, that characteristic that all of us have, possess, and never need help with. It's called humility. You know, it's like the man that declared, yes, I have humility. Of course I'm humble. Enough said. Enough said. And, and so it is this ongoing development. When the Lord feels like we need a good, good case of humility, he will send Satan into your life to buffet you, to bring you down, he will send people that you love very deeply and dearly into your life to make sure that there's a storm somehow so that you value them to the degree that you would humble yourself. Or he just sends life trials. So I want to talk to you about this characteristic of humility. And, and then what we've also been studying is that that's the character. And then we have been looking at the corresponding competency. I will not get to the competency because I'm going to respect time on Wednesday nights and I realize that school has started and so I'll probably do uh, a character on Wednesday, competency next Wednesday. This is, this is the competency. It's followership. When a person has humility, they have certain skills about them that it's easy for them to be a follower. A follower is not a robot. A follower is not a doormat, and a follower certainly does not mean that they are not leaders in their own right. In fact, one of the characteristics that we'll learn, or skills that we'll learn about a follower, is that they own the territory that they live in. In other words, they assess that territory, and they know their work, they know what they're supposed to accomplish, and they get after it, and they do an excellent job. They don't wait for a leader to micromanage them and tell them what to do. They sense the situation and they go after it and they tackle it. So in that sense, they are leaders. They just don't want to be the key leader or the senior leader. And they're comfortable in their environment and they own it and they do well in that. So those are some skills that we'll learn. Tonight, we're going to talk about humility. Can we pray together? I'm not going to read one specific passage, but we will go through quite a few passages tonight. 
Can we pray together before you're seated? Thank you, Jesus. God, we love you so much. I thank you, Lord, for where we're at as a church. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Would you lift your voices, if you don't mind, just lift your voices and let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, John. to the most humble church in the world. Thank you so much for your prayers. You may be seated. Humility and sacrificial altars go hand in hand. A leader without an altar will soon build personal monuments and they will forsake altars. Leaders, and and these six lessons are, are part of a series and we're talking about leading yourself well. So what we're developing is characteristics about how to even begin to lead yourself well. Because if a person doesn't know how to lead themselves well, then how are they even fit to lead others? And so this in leadership pipeline would be level one. If you want to aspire to do anything for God, you got to have integrity, you got to be responsible, you got to have humility, you got to pursue purity, you got to have a spirit of submission which the corresponding skill to that or character to that is obedience. And then ultimately there's got to be unconditional love. And those are the six stones on how to lead yourself well. Leaders never outgrow the altar of sacrifice. A leader is not successful because he visits an altar. A leader is successful because he is changed at the altar. First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 7 says this, And this is referring to King Saul, the first king of Israel. When thou wast little in thine own sight, the Lord anointed thee king. Notice when God's anointing came is when Saul considered himself little. When you were little in your own sight. In other words, God's anointing was attracted to humility. His anointing, it was almost as though humility was a magnet. And it was a magnet and God said, Saul, in fact, if you read it physically, he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else. But somewhere in the beginning of his leadership, he was so humble that he considered himself very little in his own sight. And God said, that's the kind of man or woman I really want to anoint to do some real powerful things in my kingdom because if they can remain little in their own sight, when I start doing some really big things in their life, they'll never take credit for it. They will remain little. And as long as you and I can remain little in our own sight, God will pour out the anointing on your life. If you can remain as an individual, if you can remain little, but collectively as a church, if we can remain little in our own sight, imagine the anointing of God that would come on Calvary Pentecostal Church as we remain little in our own sight. 
The problem is, is that Saul allowed position to change him. 1 Samuel 15 verse 10 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Why? Why would God go from anointing this king to then looking at it and saying, I greatly regret setting him up as king? What happened? What did God anoint? He anointed humility. Well, what occurred in the life of this leader, Saul, that God looks at him and says, I just despise that I have set him up and I regret that I have set him up as a king. Why is that? Well, the scripture answers that. <clears throat> For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried all night to the Lord. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Saul allowed his position to change him. Intoxicated with pride, he went to Gilgal to make a monument of himself, and he neglected the kingdom around him. His failure is what he left alive inside of his heart, and that is pride. If we pursue leadership out of a desire for power, if we pursue leadership for recognition and control, we aspire for the wrong reason. The ministry will be polluted with impure motives and defiled by worldly ambition. What's worse, it will be void of God's blessing and it will actually draw down God's curse. James 4 and 6 says, God resists the proud. Proverbs 16 and 18 tells us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Self-promotion provokes God to move against us and can cause God to pull down our ministry. God resists pride, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to be exalted, don't seek a platform. If you want to be exalted, don't seek exaltation. The Bible said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and in due season he shall exalt you. The church is different from the world. You don't have to push a door open and you don't have to enter self-promotion. You don't have to have a great presentation. Just be a man that's humble or be a woman that is humble. And God says, I will exalt you in your season where you need to be, when you need to be there, at what time. And God's anointing flows through humility. But God will pull down a ministry of pride. It will not last long. <clears throat> there are three predominant attitudes in the life of one who lives in humility. That's what I want to talk about tonight. Brokenness, teachability, and living in the fear of God. So while there, there are a myriad and, and, and there's so many, so many components that we could plug into the spirit of humility, let's just talk about three. Humility is brokenness or seeks brokenness. Humility has a teachable spirit. And humility always seeks to live in the fear of God. Some of the things that visibly that you can look at in a person who is humble is that they always seek to live a broken life. I know I'm being redundant and repetitive right now. The second thing is, is that they always keep a teachable spirit. It does 
doesn't matter. Listen, you can be excellent in one area and not so good in another area. And so while you may be a teacher over here, you might need to be a student over here. In other words, there's always something for us to learn. And we must always maintain a teachable spirit. And ultimately, we must all walk in the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord um, produces humility. So let's take a look at that. Perhaps more than any other characteristic, humility is a magnet that attracts God to our lives. Look at Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Humility seeks to live in brokenness. Pride lives blind and then cannot see the flashing lights while, and the light that says the bridge is out. While humility lives in revelation and avoids the road with a bridge out. Look, a person that lives in pride, you can stand there with flashing lights and you can stand in front of them and holler out, bridge out, bridge out. But something in the heart of a proud person says, I'll build a bridge when I drive right through the flashing lights. I'll figure out how to get across this chasm. Pride is blind to the bridge being out. Humility, on the other hand, listens to the voice of counsel. Humility listens to the voice. And humility sees the flashing lights. And humility hits the brakes and says, You're older than me. You're wiser than me. If you're telling me the bridge is out, I trust your voice. I'm not going to hit the accelerator. I'm going to hit the brakes and stop because I know you love me. And you want to save me and keep me from impending danger. Humility will stop. Pride will hit the accelerator and thrust straight on through. Pride is blind. Pride is deaf. And pride cannot hear. While humility perceives the voice of God and humility will refuse to push forward. When pride does not get its way, pride grows angry. Pride grows violent and pride insists on going forward regardless of who it hurts. It's a sad commentary when the donkey can see the angel of the Lord, but the prophet Balaam does not see the angel of the Lord. Humility can see the angel and hear the warnings. Pride doesn't even know when the hurt comes that God is trying to stop you from doing something. And so let's read together Numbers chapter 22 beginning with 24. Verse 24, if you have your Bibles or even if you have your phones, why don't you go ahead and pull that, pull that out and follow me as I read this. And just as practice, it's good to follow in the scripture. If for nothing else, it helps you to stay in tune with where the book of Numbers is. It's right behind Revelation. Keep looking, you'll find it, I promise. <laughs> Verse 24. The angel of the Lord, notice this, and almost, it's not perfect, it's not perfect, but almost every time you read of the donkey, you could read it and you could insert the word humility. Every time you see the, the term Balaam, you could insert pride. It doesn't fit perfectly, but you could almost read it that way and get the feel of how humility and pride um, relate to the angel of the Lord. 
Let's look at it. The angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey, or humility, saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed pride's foot against the wall. So he, pride, struck her again. Did you see that? The angel of the Lord is warning them, don't go forward. Humility is trying to back out of this thing. And humility presses against the wall. Balaam, pride, gets his foot crushed. Pride doesn't like it. And so pride will start swinging and fighting back. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. I mean, God is saying, come on, man, the bridge is out. The lights are shining. I'll even get a donkey to talk to you and say, stop. But pride is blind and pride is deaf and pride cannot even heed the warnings. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you? You've struck me these three times. And Balaam said to the donkey, Now the dude's out of his mind, man. If anybody would have walked up at that moment and watched Balaam or even watched from a distance and say, Man, what's wrong with this prophet? <laughs> he's talking to a donkey. Man, this dude's on drugs. Something's wrong with him. Something's going on. Look, he's having a conversation with a donkey. Poor guy. His wife's upset with him. He won't even go home and talk to his wife. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. You're keeping me back from what I want. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey attempts to stop moving forward due to the hand of God, but the prophet beats the donkey until he pushes beyond God's warnings. This is a sign of an unbroken man and a man that does not possess humility. You know, you've seen him. Go, honey. Go, children. Go, family. Get out of the church. Run, run, run as fast as you can. But then all of a sudden, almost like the animal, the children cry out, But dad! The wife cries out, But honey, you taught us differently than this. You taught us so different. So the unbroken man verbally pushes on, justifying his actions. Pride will blame the donkey instead of receiving correction from the Lord. But we must remember, whatever we refuse to break, God will break. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read it in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whosoever will fall on this stone will be broken. 
but on whomsoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. The humble man is willing to fall on the stone and be shaped by God. The proud man will have to have that stone fall on him and ultimately will grind him to powder. Breaking is not optional. Breaking is necessary. Whatever is left untouched in us will always go in ch unchanged in those to whom we minister. As Watchman Nee says in his book, Spiritual Authority, a proud person cannot deal with the pride in others, and a hypocrite cannot touch the hypocrisy in other people. We all know that if an issue persists in us, we cannot deal with it in other people. Why is that? We do not discern it because we have become like it. You won't be able to deal with pride in another person if you're proud because when you become like it, you can no longer discern it. The only way to become unlike it is to break it and go into a place of obedience. Like the outer shell of a seed that breaks open to realize its true potential. Like the alabaster box that had to be broken to release fresh oil. Like the five loaves and the two fish that had to be broken to feed the 5,000. Like the cedars of Lebanon that we talked about this past Sunday that had to be broken to build the temple. And like the body of Jesus Christ that had to be broken to save the world. You and I must be broken if we even want to begin leading ourselves well and ministering according to the will of God. So I want to ask you three questions right now. I want to ask you three questions right now. Question number one. What do others see in you that you refuse to see in yourself? Number two. What do others say about you that you refuse to hear about yourself? Number three. What is God saying to you that you're ignoring because like Balaam, you want your way more than God's way? Our second point on humility is humility is teachable. There are two ways to know ourselves according to Watchman Nee. Number one, to know what ails a person, recognize his most dominant characteristic. We all have a weight and we all have a besetting sin that we must be aware of or it will destroy us. And that's why the writer of Hebrews said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. What is a weight in your life may not be a weight in my life. And whatever a besetting sin is in your life, it may not be in my life. I've got to understand what is a weight of heaviness in my life. I've got to understand what my besetting sin is. If I don't, it is literally going to destroy me. If I am a man given over to pride, I'll be blind to it when God shows it to me. I mean, there can be a preacher that's preaching and he mentions it, but because we are proud, we are deaf and we're not hearing the teaching or preaching of the word. We're blind and so we're not even seeing that it's giving us a message there a humility or a man who is humble a woman who is humble has a teachable spirit and if you ask them what is your besetting sin 
or what is that one weight that always gets you through your whole life? What are those one or two things that you've always got to watch out for? A man who is humble and a man who has been praying, a man who has a teachable spirit, a woman who has a teachable spirit will very quickly be able to tell you, here are the two things that are my weights and besetting sins that I constantly have to overcome in my life. I haven't perfected it in 32 years of being in the church. I will not perfect it until the rapture happens. I can be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ and as long as I am more full of Him than I am of myself, I think I can overcome these things and I can be more than a conqueror through Him that loved me. A spirit of humility admits I've got to work on me. Pride says I don't have any issues to overcome. That's an issue to overcome. The true dominant nature of a person will leave an impression on other people. What is it like to be on the other side of you? What impressions have we left on other people? And number two, we learn ourselves through the Holy Ghost disciplinary actions. Any delay in learning, we're talking about having a teachable spirit. Any delay in learning means a delay in serving. So I want to ask you some questions again. I want you to think about these questions. Can you receive corrections, make changes, and keep the right spirit all at the same time? If we can't, we're wrestling with pride. If we can, at that point in our life and in that season, we're walking in humility. So here's a question. Can you receive corrections, make changes, and keep a right spirit and attitude. Number two, what last life lesson did you learn that hurt your pride but develop your humility? Can you name, I, I told you all that story, I told you all that story about pride. I told you all that story when I was going to the Jonathan Project and I was up in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was right when I had taken the church and, uh, you know, the, the church was, was experiencing some growth. But there were a couple of families that, that left the church. And so I was feeling very, very, very low and very, very, very down. I was like really down. And uh, went to that place, and so it was the first time we were there, and they were like, okay, so introduce yourself and, and tell what's going on in the ministry. And so it was like, yeah, my name's Carl McLaughlin, just recently uh, made a pastoral transition with my father-in-law, John Benson. And, uh, and you know, things are going well, but, but there's a couple families that got disgruntled, and they, they left the church. And, uh, and man, I was just, my chin was dragging. I, I told him, I said, I just, whatever I do, I don't want to mess up what my father-in-law has built. And that was about 25 years ago. And, uh, and I'm saying this thinking that I'm going to get a little bit of sympathy. And I'm looking over in the corner and there's this guy that's leaning against the wall and he's going, this is what he's doing. And I'm looking at him while I'm talking and, and, I, and I, I said, what? He said, man, it's subtle, isn't it? I said, what's subtle? He said, pride. In front of everybody. Now, everybody is listening to this, and it's he and I in this room. I said, what do you mean? I thought I was being humble. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? This is what he said. This was a life lesson that hit my pride, but hopefully developed some humility in me. He said, if you take all of the blame for the bad things, then when good things happen, you're going to take all of the credit. 
and that's an issue of pride. You better surrender that to God. If anything good happens in the church, it's because Jesus Christ is on the throne and He deserves all glory. We're not the ones that do it, ladies and gentlemen. And we better, if anything good happens in your life, don't you dare take credit for it. Say, thank you, Lord, and then immediately get it off of you. Get it off of you. Don't swallow it. Don't swallow it. Don't you dare swallow it. Get it off of you and say, God gave me the ability to do that. God allowed me to be blessed. God gave me favor. Let us be humble enough to never take the credit, but always give God praise for everything good that happens in our life. Can we cup our hands and give him praise? God, you are so good to us. God, you are so good to us. What life lesson did you learn that hurt your pride but developed your humility? Question number three, what is God trying to pull out of you right now so that he can put more of himself in you? If you want to lead, you got to keep learning. Yesterday's growth is not enough for tomorrow's promise in God. God is the potter and we're the clay. The clay must remain teachable, moldable, pliable, and willing to change shape. Have you learned the difference between discipline and revelation? According to Nee, the discipline of the Holy Ghost is a much slower process and it incorporates many tools to produce seasons of fruit. On the other hand, revelation comes very quickly and it comes often in a short period of time. Let me give you an example. Sunday, hopefully this past Sunday, when God stepped in here and I read from, from the book of Psalms about the voice of the Lord that breaks the cedar, hopefully it was a moment of revelation where things needed to be be broken out of our lives that's revelation that comes immediately and we see it quickly and it's short term discipline on the other hand is what you do with the revelation that God gives you that's why there's a lot of people frustrated in life they get the revelation but they don't have discipline behind the revelation to let God use his tools uh, to shape and cultivate what needs to be shaped and cultivated so we got a lot of revelation going on but too little of discipline going on we need more discipline and less revelation because God will not give more revelation to you until you first live disciplined and you show responsibility with the revelation that he gave you yesterday you, you're a preacher and you're reading the Bible and you're studying you're a teacher and you're teaching the word and you want more revelation God give me revelation when I study God give me revelation when I preach so that when I preach revelation comes to the people and so then God is saying okay but you need to, I need to see some discipline in your life if you'll live disciplined by virtue of the revelation I gave you a year ago and I'm watching you for the whole year of disciplined growth but then the Lord may say to you, well, look, I gave you revelation a year ago and you've put no disciplined effort into that revelation to cultivate what I wanted cultivated in you through the revelation. So do you think that revelation is just to make you look good in the pulpit? Or is it for revelation to come so that then discipline through the work of the Holy Ghost cultivates a church and a church becomes conformed into the image of Jesus Christ because we acted in a disciplined way based on that revelation. You working with me? You working with me? That's the difference between discipline and revelation. 
Listen, this is, this is what Nee said, and I believe it. It's powerful. He said this, he said this. He said, a church that has a strong teaching ministry will always have revelation functioning in that church. It will be a revelatory church because there's a lot of teaching going on. When those teaching concepts are applied in a practical manner, then there's maturity in a church. So when there's spiritual maturity in a church, God gives more revelation to that church and there's greater responsibility when the greater responsibility is there then God steps in and provides for that church because he can trust that church with revelation because he knows the church is going to live disciplined so then he provides with resources because the church has already proved herself that I will live a disciplined life based on this revelation that's why some people that's why some people can be bench warmers in the church and you're riding on the coattail of everybody else's discipline. You're enjoying the benefits of everybody else's disciplined life and God is saying, I want to give you revelation. I want you to become a disciplined saint so that you can then join in and you're not riding on the coattail of everybody else's blessing. You're the one that's blessed so that you're able then to reproduce that kind of leadership in other people if you can't lead yourself well in discipline and revelation then I can't provide for you and the church should never advance your leadership because if the church advances your leadership and you got a lot of revelation but no discipline then we got a lot of people floating around in the third heaven with no feet on the ground and we're real good in the gifts of the spirit but we're terrible with the fruit of the spirit and if we had to choose between one or the other, I'd rather have the fruit of the Spirit than the gifts of the Spirit. Signs of a teachable spirit. Number one, a teachable spirit, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. Hold on, I need a drink. A teachable spirit does not think they already know it all. If you have a know-it-all, they can't have a teachable spirit at the same time. They can never be taught anything because, well, they know it all. A wise person is a learning person in the growth process and realizes that they are not a finished product. A teachable spirit believes that there is something to be learned daily by people around them, by life experiences, and they refuse to put a ceiling on learning because they, they think that they know it all. If they think they know it all, immediately a ceiling is placed on them and they cannot grow because they're not learning. Proverbs 14, 16 through 18 says this, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil. But the fool rageth and is confident. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. And a man of wicked devices is hated. The simple, or the person that will, doesn't have a teachable spirit and won't learn, the simple inherits folly. But the prudent, the one who has a teachable spirit, is crowned with knowledge. Question. What is something new that you are currently learning that will make you more like the Lord? Like if I just open mic right now, what in the last week, what is something new that you've learned 
that's made you more like Jesus Christ? Could you say? Number two, teachable spirit. A teachable spirit listens and learns from the wisdom of others. When a man has a teachable spirit, he listens and learns from the wisdom of other people. A person with a teachable heart will do more listening than they will talking. If, you, if you're in a room, and you're in a room with someone, and there's one person that dominates the conversation, and all they do is talk, 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 and they can never slow down enough to listen. I can tell you right now that person is not learning much because they're only relying on themselves and their own knowledge to talk. I mean, learning and teaching and learning relationship is this reciprocity. You talk, I listen, I give you feedback, maybe I stimulate some thought inside of you that perhaps it's an angle you haven't thought of before, and so now we're sharpening the saw and we're learning together. We maintain a teachable spirit. That's never truer than when you are in a room with people that are older than you are and much wiser than you are. Anytime you go into that room, your insecurities may jump on you and go, man, you need to prove how much you know. Start talking right now. Worst thing in the world to do. Just get in that room with people that are older and wiser than you. Maybe ask a question so that it causes them to start opening up with their wisdom and you will walk away going, man, that was a wealth of knowledge. Thank you, Lord, for that 30 minutes with wiser, older people in my life. You have a teachable spirit. They have people around them who are wise in areas of life where they need to grow. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 5, a wise man will hear and will increase in learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. I have a question. Or maybe a statement. Discover two or three things you want to learn. And ask those who have wisdom in those areas of life to teach you. Is it financial management? Is it prayer and spiritual growth? Is it how to have a healthy marriage? Is it how to lead a blended family? Find someone that's wiser than you. Identify two to three areas that you want to learn in. Ask them and open your spirit up to being teachable enough to learn from them. Number three, a teachable spirit remains accountable and is willing to change. A person who refuses accountability and displays an unwilling attitude to change cannot be taught because they are wise in their own eyes and they elevate themselves over others. Proverbs 3 and 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. Question. Who have you surrounded yourself with that can take you higher in knowledge and hold you accountable for your actions and your attitudes? Is there anybody in your life that can ask you questions and hold you accountable? Number four, a teachable spirit has a goal. A teachable spirit has a goal. So I'm going to ask you a question. What is your goal in life? If you had to boil it down, what is your one goal? If you have a, a person who has a teachable spirit, normally they are thinking about goals in their life. They're saying, what do I need to achieve next? What do I need to learn next? What do I need to accomplish next? That's showing that they have a teachable spirit. I would like to suggest that conformity into the image of Jesus Christ is an eternal and noteworthy goal. The simple definition or the simplest definition of learning is changing to grow. You're not really learning if you have not changed and you're not growing. 
To be like Jesus is a lifelong learning process that demands a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit is willing to undergo a complete transformation in the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. A teachable spirit trusts God's ingredients and will conform to fulfill God's purpose. Here's what the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for bad. Is God's ingredients. Is it okay if God chooses some very hard to swallow things to develop you? A teachable spirit will not argue with God's ingredients. A teachable spirit will say, man, I don't like that salt you're putting in that peach pie. Man, I, that bacon, who in the world wants to eat salt by itself? Who in the world wants to eat two raw eggs by themselves? Who in the world wants to unwrap a stick of butter and just go, man, this butter sure is good. Now, if you want to do that, we need to have another talk after church. It's like, oh, hey, have a bite of butter. But you put all of that together. You blend that together, all these ingredients, the bitter and the sweet together. You put all of that together and you put that in the oven and there's something magical that comes out of that oven. God's ingredients are perfect and a person who has a teachable spirit will wait until they go through the fiery furnace knowing that when God puts it all together, all things work together for good. God is doing something in your life and you've got to have a teachable spirit. When it hurts, don't jump out of the fire. When you don't understand, don't jump out of the trial. When you're confused, stay in that oven. God's ingredients are perfect. And God wants to see if you have humility enough to maintain a teachable spirit. When He's pulling something out of you and He's integrating something else inside of you, can you maintain a teachable spirit and become the product that God wants at the end? Question, what characteristic do you need most in your life right now? And which will you commit to developing? Integrity, responsibility, humility, purity, submission, charity. These are the six that we're studying. If you want to grow in the first three, I've got... 37 pages in 10,559 words that you can study and read <laughs> on the three lessons, the first three lessons. If you want to grow, you've got to learn. You've got to, if you want to change, you've got to commit to the learning process. Is your learning more than just Wednesday night and when we check out of here, the lesson's gone? Or is it sustaining you and you're developing it through the week? Humility walks in the fear of God. And this is the final point. Humility <clears throat> walks in the fear of God. A leader or one who is going to lead himself or herself well must respect and reverence God more than he or she would seek the approval of other people. 
If you're constantly running around to try to get the affirmation, validation, and approval of other people, that may be a spirit of pride working in there. Because when there's true humility, you will walk in the fear of God and you will not really care. You'll want people to like you, but you will not so get so intoxicated with their approval that you then step outside of the will of God and step outside of the fear of God to please them more than you are pleasing God. The Bible mentions the fear of the Lord 30 times in 30 verses and always, always, always has a positive outcome for those who possess the fear of the Lord. Discernment precedes decisions, and the fear of the Lord seeks to discern a matter before deciding on the issue. In Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is contrasted with the fool's proud rejection of wisdom. Fear, the fear of the Lord, knows what and who to respect and how to place oneself in a learning posture. According to Proverbs, it is not that a foolish heart cannot learn, it's that a foolish heart refuses to learn. Let me say it again, because when you're studying Proverbs, uh, specifically the first nine chapters of Proverbs, you're going to hear the instruction of Jehovah. Then Jehovah is translating that information to moms and dads. You're going to hear the instruction of mom and dad. That's supposed to go into the children. And then the children have to choose one of two pathways. Am I going to go the path of folly, or am I going to go the path of wisdom? And so Proverbs says, I, wisdom, stand in the street and cry out to you you oh simple how long will you remain simple or how long will you remain foolish come to my house and then wisdom tells you what wisdom will impart to you and so it's not that a man or a woman uh, who has a foolish heart cannot learn it's just simply that they refuse to learn how is it how is it, and I don't know, in 26 years of pastoral leadership right here, youth group after youth group after youth group after youth group after youth group, how in the world is it that two young men can sit on the same pew and get the same teaching and the same encouragement and one choose the path of folly and the other choose the path of wisdom? That's painful because when your friends choose the path of folly, you still, if you have to walk by yourself, you got to get on that path of wisdom and you got to stick to that path of wisdom. And all of those on that path of folly are saying, hey, Bryn man, come on over here. And you got to be humble enough to say, I'm walking in the fear of God. I love you, but I'm not changing this path I'm on. I'm on the path of wisdom and I am going to fear the Lord. I'm not simple-minded. I'm not foolish in my heart. I'm wise in my heart. I'm walking with humility and I'm going to stay on the wise path if I'm all by myself I'm going to walk in the wisdom of God the fear of the Lord will not allow you to choose the path of folly that foolish young man man it's, it's like you teach and you preach and you like right now right now you, you know like when I'm teaching if I, if I ever just kind of do this and lock in with you for a minute I've I've taught a long time I've been with a lot of people for many many years I can see that far away look get a hold of a young person and you can watch them and then it won't be long after that the mom or the dad will contact me and say pastor we need to talk to you about our child and it's not surprising because you can watch in one church building you can watch them and you can watch them start taking off this way 
and you do the whole church just everything that it can, everything that it can. What's going on? There's foolishness in their heart. There's foolishness in their heart. It's not that they don't have the capacity to learn. It's they don't have the desire and the hunger and the appetite to learn. Because learning means changing. And they don't want to change selfish ways. You with me? You can remain standing if you're not. Let's stand together. <clears throat> A man or a woman who fears God commits to learning God's ways. I want to list several blessings of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 and 10 says or tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 16, 6 says the fear of the Lord causes one to depart from evil. Psalm 19 and 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 14, 26, the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. Somebody said, well, Brother McLaughlin, that's a little bit confusing. If the fear of the Lord produces knowledge and the fear of the Lord produces wisdom, what's the difference between the two? Knowledge is much like that revelation. Knowledge comes to you and gives you insight. Wisdom is the practical application of the knowledge that comes to you. And so when you walk in the fear of the Lord, not only does God give you knowledge or revelatory insight and discernment and prudence and discretion and equity and justice, God, the fear of the Lord produces all of this inside of you if you commit yourself to Him. And so when all of that is taking place, then the Lord also gives you wisdom. And so, and so it's almost like you've got this knowledge, but then when you're living life out and you relate to other people, wisdom says, apply this right now as a principle in this relationship and I will keep you from the way of folly. And all of a sudden you start making decisions, sometimes painful decisions because you've got to cut away from some people. Sometimes painful decisions because you have to say no to things that might seem fun to the flesh. Sometimes painful decisions because you know that when you make this decision, people are not really going to understand why you're making this decision. That's wisdom. It's the practical application of the knowledge that the fear of the Lord produces inside of you. This is, this is why it's important when you're humble. When you're humble, you want to walk in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Man, when you're walking in the fear of God, listen to me. When you know you have pleased God, when you know you have pleased God, and you can go right back to this book and say, every single decision that I made, I can show you book, chapter, and verse why I made that decision. If you stand all alone, and listen, if you walk in the fear of God, there are going to be some very lonely times. People will not understand why you do certain things that you do. But you are able to have a strong confidence in the Lord, and you're able to, having done all to stand, stand. Because you've decided in the fear of the Lord and it gives you strong confidence. And out of that strong confidence, the scripture says in chapter 14, 27, it's a fountain of life.
Man, it just flows out of you. Life flows out of you by virtue of walking in the fear of the Lord. In conclusion tonight, a humble or humble, broken and teachable person who lives in the fear of God becomes a world changer. These world changers do not make a reputation for themselves. They do not brag. They do not self-promote. And they are not full of themselves. They stick with it when Judas sells them out. When Peter denies knowing them. When the crowd shouts, crucify them. When the chief priests and the Pharisees falsely accuse them. When the Roman soldiers spit on them and hang them. Yes, Jesus Christ changed the world through humility. Isn't, isn't the contrast a bit ironic in Balaam and Jesus? Both rode on a donkey. One was full of pride while the other one was full of humility. The one full of pride, the one full of pride destroyed his world, but the one full of humility saved the world. Jesus Christ. That's why. And it was actually a hymn. It was a hymn before it became part of the text. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He is the epitome of humility. If you want humility, seek Jesus. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Don't seek a name. Seek humility. And if God wants you to have a name, you'll have a name. But ultimately know this, that you do have a name that's written down in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. What an amazing message we heard today from Pastor McLaughlin. Hey, if you want to stay connected with the church and the podcast, do not forget to follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Calvary Ulyss. That's Calvary Ulyss. Visit our website at calvaryulyss.org. That's calvaryulyss.org. And we cannot wait to connect with you guys there. We hope to see you guys next Tuesday for an all new episode. God bless.